This is Jackets Debrief, a show about the Columbus Blue Jackets, the National Hockey League, and part of the Hockey Podcast Network. guys so this week's show we are going to start with the heavy news of the week um we're going to start with my takes and my thoughts on what's happened with uh the chicago blackhawks the reason i'm, I'm starting right off this because i know everybody wants to talk about the jackets and obviously things are actually going well right now which is better than we thought it would be at this point in the season uh but i want to handle the heavy stuff first first to show that it's an important thing second of all that way i'm not ending the show on something so awful so, uh, I mean, obviously, if you if you follow hockey enough to be receiving a to that you're signed up for a Blue Jackets podcast, uh, you know about what happened uh, last week. Chicago Blackhawks ended up uh, they allowed to resign uh, G, uh, GM president of the organization Stan Bowman because of how he handled a uh, sexual assault allegation in the team um, back in back in 2010 on the Blackhawks' first Cup run. Um, you can go find the details of it, but essentially what it amounts to is a video coach uh, assaulted a player. Um, both men involved say something happened. The video coach said it was consensual. The player said it was not. Um, after that, there were uh, issues where it was reported that this coach also sent inappropriate text messages to another player, uh, or at least the way it was, I think it was termed the report, were uh, text messages of a sexual nature. Um, the player was even teased by some other players about it. Um, the, the, the thing they mentioned is homophobic, uh, comments about it, which are, uh, it's a lot of bad guys. Um, and then the big part of the story that came out this week too, was on May 23rd, a group in Blackhawks leadership. I'm reading from ESPN story by Emily Kaplan about it including then-President John McDonough, McIsaac, General Manager Stan Bowman, Executive BP Jay Blunk, Assistant GM Kevin Chevaldayoff, Head Coach Joel Quenville, and Mental Skills Coach James Gary met to discuss what happened. There were varying accounts of what was said in that meeting. However, no action was taken against Aldrich directly after that meeting. He stayed with the Blackhawks through their Stanley Cup celebrations and was even given a day to celebrate with the Cup. Now, this is all real bad um, that the Blackhawks didn't take it seriously. The real problem... Where, where where everybody needs to understand the lesson of what this kind of problem is, is that after the season, the way the Blackhawks handled it was they went to this coach Aldrich and said, you can either resign or we can fire or we can investigate it. And he just resigned. And then he ended up going and working with other hockey organizations in uh, Michigan. And there were other issues there where there were other assaults he did there uh, of players in this case younger players players who were not uh you would assume some players who would be afforded you would assume that the the player involved in this um would have made it uh who who came out afterwards uh did an interview on tsn kyle beach he was a first round pick you would assume the blackhawks would have had some kind of protection some type of discussions wanting to figure this out because i mean that's looking at where the career of Kyle Beach went after this, I mean, it's not just a first-round player who didn't pan out. He, like, fell out of the league and ended up playing on, like, some low-tier German league team. I mean, it's this kind of thing affected him. And to think then that Aldrich was then put back out into the world with no warning 
and then did the same thing to other people who wouldn't have had the even even as much status as the person you originally uh, uh, assaulted. But I mean, it, it goes to show partial partial per, part of the problem we have with our quote unquote hockey culture and team first and never wanting to be a distraction. Uh, the whole distraction thing was actually cited as one of the reasons nothing was done in that initial meeting, and uh, it was probably some uh, that line that got Joel Quenville. Um, he was allowed to resign from the Florida Panthers this week. I think there was probably something along the lines of you either need to resign or we're going to have to fire you because we just can't. You can't be standing behind a bench. And and the the weird thing to me is the NHL, he still got to coach a game the night after this report came out, which was stunning to me because for a while now I've been saying that whenever somebody is accused of something, uh, if I were a pro league, my status, my plan would immediately be if there was a, a an, uh, an allegation to the point of either there's a lawsuit. I mean, if somebody just and I, I understand this gets complicated because in, in there was a there's a current situation with uh, the Canucks where somebody essentially said that a player did something on social media um, and it's. It's hard to suspend people and take them off the ice if there's any allegation because I we're in this we're in this this weird place where if anybody I I believe what people are alleging in in especially in this situation and and in the situation with the the Canucks situation it it seems like there's a lot there's a, there's a lot of smoke there and there's probably some fire but when something at a minimum when something reaches the the level of there being a lawsuit or a criminal investigation or something along those lines if I were a team. I would immediately have play, people suspended, even with pay at that point, because I mean, an allegation is that it's an allegation. Um, could be true, could be false. We just we don't know. But at the same time, once that comes out with that level of credibility that someone's willing to go to court over it, you shouldn't be putting that person out there for fans to be cheering for or to feel weird about what's going to happen. Um, because honestly, if you were a Florida Panthers fan who was aware of everything going on in Chicago that had happened in Chicago. And they're watching their team that night, but they're uh, a survivor. They know a survivor for some, uh, or they're just a person who's like, yeah, I don't want to cheer for a guy who covered up uh, a, a sexual assault because it was a quote unquote distraction. That puts your fans in a situation where it makes a game very difficult to watch. Um, I, I just, that's, that's a tough thing. So I, I, I'm surprised they even let him coach that night. Um, other takes I have on this and one that is, so far, very from what I can tell, just not popular on Twitter. Um, Kevin Chevaldeoff, the GM of the Jets, who was in this meeting, he will receive no punishment. Now, it's tricky. And, and I wonder how much of this is based on some things we don't know or some of the things that are in the massive report that I have not read. Here's my theory, because I saw a lot of people jumping on it and saying this was the wrong call. Um... And maybe it could be, I reserve the right to, if other information comes out, to change my mind on this. Because it's just not, you never know what's going to happen there. Um, you just don't. Uh, you, you never know if new information is going to come out. So, I mean, that's, I, I would rather, I would rather be someone who changes my mind than, than just sticks to being wrong on something. But in my current perspective on it, I was thinking, how would something play out like this in a place where I work? And I work in a very corporate, uh, large company. But, if a one worker, if the if the accusation came out that one worker assaulted another worker, um, what would happen is obviously our HR people would get involved. They might get other independent investigators involved. Odds are the person, 
where I worked, the person who was accused would probably be told to go home for a bit. And even the person who had been assaulted, I don't know, they might, they might have them take some time off. And, and I mean, everybody would be paid for it and everything, but it would just be a, we need to see what's happened. We need to investigate. We really don't, this is complicated, that sort of thing. Um, But if the person who committed the assault, if I never saw them at the job again, I would, I mean, that that's what it would, I would not be surprised. And then if I asked my HR people, hey, what happened with this? They wouldn't tell me. Uh, it's pretty common in the legal and corporate world that when someone's accused of something, the head of the organization does not just say, hey, this person did this thing. That's why we fired them. Now, is there a debate to be had about, well, if something's the nature of sexual assault, which is something that we know tends to be a recurring thing. Normally, someone just doesn't do that once and then never does it again. Um, should there be some duty to warn the public or something? Yes, I would say so. Um, I mean, theoretically, hopefully your employer would turn it over to law enforcement, which I think is probably one of the major failures of, of the Blackhawks in this. Um, but getting back to my original point, if you're Kevin Cheveldayoff, if you're an assistant GM, and if this has all happened and your GM has told you, your bosses have all told you, we've handled it the right way, everything's taken care of. I, I don't know what else you're expecting him to do. I mean, I, I understand if he were to become if he had become aware at some point that this had never been referred to law enforcement or that his team, in fact, their role their version of taking care of it was to say, well, either resign or be fired. Um, or resign or be investigated, then maybe you could say, wait, there's some culpability there. He should have been, at, he, at that moment, there should have been a wait. He should have tried to talk to more people involved and try and get something figured out. But I, I can understand also in a workplace that you know that you're not going to get told why someone was fired. So I, it's, I think that one's a little, I think that's a tricky situation um, to say that Chevy needs to be necessarily fired for what he did. Now, I, there's, I mean, there's other things where this guy is not exactly the best guy. We've heard some stuff about uh, uh, how he handled with Akeem Eliu uh, about just the racist stuff. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not someone who's wanting to sit up here and be like, Kevin Chevelle's a good guy. Leave him alone. No, by all means, I think there's reason to question uh, him and what he was doing and all of that. And again, I reserve my right to change my mind on this if I hear other information. Just right now, that's my... That's something my mind can't get around on it because at the end of the day, as much as this is, it's a sport, it's a workplace. And I was trying to think about how this would play out where I work. So, um, so that's what's happening there. Um, TSN, I believe still has streaming up somewhere. The entire interview, um, that beach gave, which is just hard to watch and may not be something you want to jump into. If that's not your, you know, if, if you don't want to see the, the things laid, you know, kind of bare and just kind of open emotion on it. Um, but that's, uh, I mean, that's my general takes on it right now. I think Quenville being gone is the right thing. Um, my idea on what they should do going forward, I think what the NHL needs to do, and I think this would be helpful for their issues with race problems. I think this would be helpful for their issues with somebody tweeted that don't think this is the only story like this has ever happened. Because if this is what a team did to cover up for a, a video coach, if somebody more important did something, what do you think would happen? And that the thought that there's other stories like this sitting out there, I both, it, it makes me feel sick. But I just, I hate how much when I heard that, I thought that feels like there's truth in it. I, I mean, it, it, there's no specific thing to accuse. There's nothing completely out there that I know of. I just, 
to think this is the one time this happened and oh it came up and now it's been now it's you know being being this big public thing I, I, I doubt that I doubt, I doubt this is the only one there so uh, my thought on how they should handle these things going forward, if I was the NHL, what I would do is I would find some type of either uh, firm or investigative team or something. Somebody you can hire as an outside contractor who their entire job is to investigate these things, almost to act as almost like an internal affairs uh, in the same way the you know law enforcement has that and all that. And the idea being that any player, any person from any level of organization um, can call these folks, make the allegation, say who's involved, and then those people jump in. So it's not the NHL, it's not hockey men trying to investigate this stuff or hockey women or people with the NHL with that vested interest. It's these people with this outside group trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, and that, and, and part of the reason that came to me was the whole idea of, okay, if, if say you were you know the assistant GM in this situation and you'd been told by everybody above you that everything was fine. Well, if it wasn't, I mean, if you're going to try and rat on that, who are you going to go to? Are you going to go to... I mean, you can't go to your owner. You can't go to your bosses. Maybe you can skip the GM and go to the owner. But if you're an assistant GM just trying to get the owner on the phone, ugh, I, I, you know, I, I can see where people would be afraid for their careers. And I get it that in in the podcast space and in Twitter and everything else, we say, well, something terrible's happened. People need to have courage about it. And you're not wrong. But the problem is we're talking about how people respond in real environments. Um, we're talking about how somebody actually responds to a problem, not, not how should we respond? How would we like to think we would act, how we actually do things. So, um, thanks for bearing with me on that guys. There will probably be other stories come up with it. Um, but we're going to do now the most awkward transition that I can potentially ever do <laughs> and talk about our friends at DraftKings. Cause it's a good, you know what? Let's do one other thing first. Let's, 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 let's not do that to our good friends at DraftKings who do a lot of great things for us. And they don't deserve that. We're going to talk about the standings. We're going to talk about something that makes Blue Jackets fans happy right now. And this is why it makes Blue Jackets fans happy right now. As of the recording of the show, which is Sunday night, uh, there was one game going on uh, that has not been played yet, the Rangers and the Kraken. So it actually won't affect the standings at all because the Rangers are ahead of the Blue Jackets. Uh, so the Blue Jackets right now are fourth in the Metropolitan, ladies and gentlemen. They've got four regulation wins, four regulation and overtime wins. They are five and three, ten points. They are the best team the world has ever seen. That that's a joke. Obviously, we are in the same division as the eight and O Carolina Hurricanes, um, who just whomped on us last week. But the Blue Jackets, you know what? We're going to talk about what we can be positive. Last week's show was very negative, um, and obviously the first so so many minutes of this show very negative. Um, but. We're going to go ahead and uh, <clears throat> talk now. Now that we've talked about something good, uh, the Blue Jackets are actually very competitive right now in the division. Um, if the playoffs were to start today, yes, that's right, folks. If the playoffs were to start today, the Columbus Blue Jackets would be your number one wild card team, meaning that they would be set up for, of all things, a four-game series, a seven-game series. I say four games because I fear that would be it. What it would happen? A seven-game series against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, but if we're going by points percentage, you know, let's go by points percentage and see how that affects everything here and, and messes with us. Points percentage is not loading up the way I need it to. I think if you go by points percentage, we're actually out of the playoffs because the uh, Devils have a better points percentage than we do. But either way, if the playoffs started today, it'd be number one against Carolina. So that's, that's not bad. All right, guys, we're talking about it here. 
it is the prime of sports betting season. Uh, the World Series may end tonight, so we can't bet on that anymore. Uh, we got the NBA, the NFL, hockey. It's all going on, folks. And the best place to bet, the best place to play daily fantasy is DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. That is awesome. Get that free money. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can get huge cash prizes all season long with the Daily Fantasy games. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network. THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and you and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So the Blue Jackets, if we're looking at their odds to make the playoffs, it's still not great. Um, who is it here? Our good friend, Adam Lushusians, still has them at... I'm trying to do numbers in my head, folks, and it is hard. Okay, so that's 10, that's 28... So he still says they have got a is that ninety eight? He still says it's a ninety eight percent chance they won't make the playoffs, a three percent chance of them making the playoffs. I I mean the reason where that number is coming from is some combination of his analytics, the numbers he sees, the numbers he sees that tend to lead to winning. So that's where they're at right now. Now this is where things are positive if you're a Blue Jackets fan currently. So looking at the game since last week, since they got just bludgeoned by the Hurricanes last Saturday. Uh, on Monday, they beat the Stars 4-1. Now, here's the nice thing. At 5-on-5, five five, scoring venue adjusted, because that's how we play these numbers, they were better than the Hurricanes. 54.81%, Corsi 4. Expected goals for percentage against the against the Stars was a 59.07%. That's solid. That's really good. That I mean, they really outplayed the Stars at 5-on-5. Five five. They earned a 4-1 win. They were better than that team. The next game, they lose 4 nothing to the Rangers. Corsi 4 in that game, 46.51%. They were outplayed. Expected goals for percentage, 45.41. They were outplayed. Tonight against the Devils, when they win 4-3 in overtime, Corsi 4 is 47.16%. So the Devils did get more shooting percentage against them, but the expected goals for was only 49.03%. So that's not bad. That's keeping it really close. And then in a game like this, who scored who scored two big goals for them? Bjorkstrand and Line. See, here's where the Blue Jackets can keep this season on the right track. If they can keep these numbers, if they can keep close in scoring chances with their opponent, which is really what expected goals for is kind of a proxy for, um, if they can keep close in shot share like they did tonight against the Devils, that keeps you in games where, every, where then occasionally you'll get, hey, Bjorkstrand's going to have this great, you know, great power play shot right in the, right in the Royal Road. Uh, line A is going to make a classic line A. He's on the left side of the ice and just whacks that sucker, and there it goes. And that's the thing. That's what we need out of this team. That's the, that's the big part of what we're looking for out of this team this year. They can, and this is part of where things get good for them. 
because I, 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 I've seen people starting to talk about their PDO and how it's probably higher than it should be. But let's talk about this for a second. The Blue Jackets may just have a high PDO this year. And the reason for that is the baseline of how well their goalies play. Now, PDO is just a very simplistic number where you just add shooting percentage and save percentage. And the idea is that teams revert to 100%. But the problem with that is if your team has a higher shooting percentage because you have more talent shooting, your shooting percentage will be higher. So you may just have a higher number. Or if your save percentages are better. But let's look at these numbers. Five on five, if you're looking at, or all teams in all situations, the money puck, I'm looking at their number, goals save above expected. Now, again, the way you think about this is if you take a shot and 50% of the time that shot goes in is worth 0.5 goals. If 10% of the time it goes in, 0.1 goal, and so on. So what they do is they look at every shot that's taken against a goaltender. They say, what are the expected goals? Okay, and how many goals have actually been scored on them? The number sixth goalie in the league right now at, at the best goal saved above expected is Elvis Mers Lincolns at five. So that means now, right now, Sergey Bobrovsky, he's balling out this year. He's at 13.5 in six games. He is playing, he's playing lights out. I mean, he has got, he's, he's saving two goals a game higher than expected. It's pretty good. Frederick Anderson also having a great season so far, 10.5. But Elvis Mers Lincolns, five. So for every game Elvis has played this season, he essentially has saved one goal more than what would be expected out of an average goaltender. That's really good. What's really interesting is the 11th player on this list is Jonas Corposalo, who's at 2.7. Uh, I don't think this takes into effect Sunday's game, um, so I'd have to see the numbers on that. But it, here's the thing. In those 2.7, uh, in those two in the two games he played, he's saving a little over a goal a game from what you would expect him to, from what you would expect based on that. So if both goaltenders are playing at a higher level and you can keep your level of playing where you're clo- you're you're flirting with 50-50 when it comes to shot share and when it comes to uh, expected goals for this team could win more games than they lose. This team could be solid throughout the season. And it, it's there's there's some definite things there to be encouraged about. Um I personally am encouraged that Patrick Line is showing on uh if I look at the um if you're looking at some of the uh uh, pulling everything up here for it. Some of the uh, advanced stats on things. Patrick Line is uh, outperforming what he did last year. Um, one second here. Okay, at five on five. So Patrick Line is at 50.39 expected goals for when he's on the ice. The reason that's impressive is Patrick Line tends to overperform that. He's at 50.39 expected goals for when he's on the ice. His actual goals for when he's on the ice is 65.65%. He is Because he is such a good shooter, he's outperforming that number. The other player we have on this team where I am just like, yes, he is far and away better skilled than I than, than these other guys is we got Oliver Bjorkstrand. His expected goals for 49.38%, but the actual goals for 61.31%, which is what you're wanting to see. And that those are the players you expect to see it out of. They can outperform some of their bad metrics because they have that talent level. Now, we don't have enough other Blue Jackets who are consistently getting... We've only got three Blue Jackets who, are consi- who so far this season are above 50% at expected goals for. Now, when you look at the season, I mean, there's good reason for that in that some of these games... Uh, what was it? Uh, the 5-1 drubbing against the Hurricanes, we only had 38%. Uh, against the Islanders, it was 39%. 
um, even though we won that game 3-2. Uh, the 4-1 loss to the Red Wings, 39%. Um, even that first opening night, and we talked about this saying the team was getting lucky there. Opening night, it was only 33%. But in these last three games, in which they're 2-1, and one, there's a 59% expected goals for, 45%, and 49%. So if they can keep that number closer to 50 they have a chance in more of these games. They might be able to make something good happen. I am as surprised as you folks are. So I'm I'm really happy to see that. Um, I'm looking forward to that. So a couple of things, uh, a couple other fun things going on. Um, the Blue Jackets uh, took advantage of the standing offer. Whenever teams come to New York, there's a standing offer for them to meet the commissioner. Hasn't happened as much in recent years because of all the COVID stuff. And now that everybody's vaccinated, people feel cool with doing it again. Uh, so the Blue Jackets sent the... Uh, run of uh, Columbus guys in there. Uh, who do we had here? Uh, we had Corrali. We had uh, Roslovic. Who was our... Who went in last? Oh, Cole Sillinger. So the three guys born in Columbus uh, are born in the Ohio area. They're, they're all who went. The one thing out of this that was really cool to me that I thought was interesting was Corrali asked about there being an outdoor game. Um... The answer he was given. Their answer was that Ohio Stadium isn't set up for plumbing in the winter, Crowley said. Until that gets figured out, that's what's holding up Columbus. So, uh, for those of you who are like, wait, what do you mean the plumbing isn't set up for winter? This is relatively common, especially with outdoor stadiums. Um, Even when the Minnesota Golden Gophers built their new stadium a few years back, that was a problem they had. Um, Meaning that... Essentially, because they know the stadiums only used college football stadiums are only used till the last week in November, they don't really prepare them to work to to keep the pipes warm in uh, days when the temperatures were consistently below 32 degrees because you don't get many of those before the end of November. And what these stadiums actually do is they have systems where they will drain all the water from the pipes uh, before they winterize the stadium. Essentially, they drain all the water from the pipes. Uh, so the pipes don't burst over the winter and create all sorts of problems, um, and they shut things down in the stadium. Apparently, Ohio Stadium, at least according to this information, is one of those stadiums. That makes a lot of sense to me, considering how old the place is. I'm not totally shocked by that. So there are two potential fixes here. One, uh, Ohio State upgrades their stadium to be winterized, which I don't really see them doing anytime soon, because that's going to cost millions. And if you're Ohio State, from December through March or late February, who's trying to hold an event in Ohio Stadium other than a hockey game? So unless the Blue Jackets and the NHL take on all of the cost, I don't see why the Blue, why Ohio State would want to do it. Second option, you'll play the game somewhere else. Now, you might say to yourself, where else could you play that game? There's not a lot of places in Columbus, because Ohio Stadium has two things going for it. One, it is so historic. I mean, it is just, it's this historic Mecca that you, you know, this great old world college football thing that, that's going to have a, a air to it that nothing else does. So the other option is to move the game. In Columbus, the only other thing I can think of is Lower.com Field. Because it's this beautiful, brand new stadium, but you're capping attendance like at 29,000, I think. I mean, I lower.com field uh, capacity. 
me double check. I want to see what it can get. 20,000? 20,371? Can it be expanded? Because if that's it, it's... I mean, the Blue Jackets are at 18,000 themselves. Yeah, 20,165. It's a beautiful stadium, but it doesn't really give you that same sense of something grand the way the other ones do. So what I think, if I'm the Blue Jackets, what I'm interested in doing is I talk to the NHL and I say, okay, I understand then this doesn't get to be this big, cool thing for Ohio fans or for the Blue Columbus fans necessarily. But what if in an effort to grow the fan base for the game, the Blue Jackets host one in either Cleveland or Columbus or Cincinnati. Uh, and and then you have multiple options in both cities because both team, cities have NFL stadiums and both cities have baseball stadiums. So then you open up to Great American Ballpark, Paul Brown Stadium, uh, First Energy Stadium, and uh, whatever they're calling Jacobs Field now. I'm not, I don't remember. Is it Progressive Field still? I don't know. Um, so you can play at any one of those places, which would be kind of cool, kind of interesting. And I think it would be cool because you could do kind of a mid-range thing where it's like, hey, we're going to go play it in Cleveland and Detroit's going to come down. Um, uh, and you could have, and what you could do is you could try and talk to the city of Cleveland or the city of Cincinnati because though neither of those, I mean, Cleveland might be harder because they have the Cavs, so Cincinnati might be perfect for it because first of all, it's a little further south, might be a little warmer outside. It's a couple of the degrees, but not much. But you could go down there, and because they don't really have a, a winter sport in the same way that, that Cleveland does with the Cavs, you might be able to talk to City Cincinnati and saying, hey, let's get a whole big area down here. Let's do the all the outdoor festivities we normally do. Let's try and grow the game of the NHL in Cincinnati. Um, just get people involved and and have them play, uh, you know, maybe Nashville or something, something that's kind of closer to Cincinnati. Um to get more of a sense of kind of a, a rival thing kind of go, going there. Or, I mean, you could bring in any team, really. Um, if I mean, you could go bring in one of the big draws or an original six, I guess, if you really want to. But that's where I think... I mean, even making Detroit or go down to Cincinnati might not be a bad play. Uh, I, so that might be a good way to go about it. All right, next thing we want to talk about, probably the last thing this week. Um, apparently, the Corpusalo talks have kind of increased a little bit. So that's not terrible. Um... If we can get a good deal, uh, apparently last year the thing that held it up was we were only getting mid-round deals for him. So a lot of people weren't. So the, the Blue Jacks didn't jump on it because the idea was we don't want to trade him for a third or fourth round pick. We really think we can get a first or a second. Here's where we're at. The three teams that have been heard most often. Arizona, Buffalo, and Montreal. Now what I think is important when we're looking at this is where are these teams in the standings? What were their expectations coming into this season? Um, Arizona's having a terrible start to the season, but Arizona at the same time, they didn't have big expectations. So in my mind, I don't know why Arizona trades a first or second round pick for him when remember, I mean, they didn't get a first round pick last year. I mean, they're not going to give away the first round pick for a a guy who's going to be a free agent at the end of the season to try and win some games in a season where honestly, Getting a highest first round pick as you can makes sense. Now, the other two teams. You got Buffalo. Now, Buffalo's the expectations thing is the same in Buffalo. Buffalo's five, two, and one right now. They're eleven points. They're second in the Atlantic. 
Now, if you're saying, Frank, Buffalo always starts the season hot. You're not wrong. Buffalo always does start the season hot, and so far they've always failed. Uh, will they fail this year? Eh, I, I think so, probably. I don't think they have the talent to go for the long haul. But if you're Buffalo, you are having incredibly low houses, even though your team's kind of winning some. Nobody's showing up to games. Um, and I, the idea of doing something, some big move to try and show, look, we want to win, could be very helpful for you. Uh, and right now, Buffalo, um, their goaltender, I mean, they're, they're, they're getting decent, decent goaltending, but the idea of, look, we might have our long-term guy. That's, that's something that, that might be useful for you. Uh, might be worth having. I mean, Buffalo, oh my gosh, that's not even possible. Is it Buffalo in five home games? is drawing to 40.9% capacity. Their average home crowd is 7,709. How is that possible? I, oh my good, I hadn't looked at the number until now. That's, oh my goodness. That's horrendous. Columbus is 21st in the league at 15,071, um, which they're actually, they're closer in capacity. They have a high, they're, they're getting closer to their capacity than Detroit is. Uh, in absolute numbers, Columbus's average home total um, is 22nd in the league. So they're ahead of Winnipeg, uh, New Jersey, San Jose, Los Angeles, which is pretty good for Columbus to start off 22nd because we all know Columbus is a market. It doesn't things don't pick up until after football season. Buffalo 7700, dear, ah, oh, that's awful. All right, third team, uh, Montreal. This is the team that I could see going for it. Because um, Montreal right now is last in the East. They're 2-8. and eight, And they had high expectations coming into the season after coming off a Stanley Cup loss last year. High expectations. So I could see, I could see Montreal pulling the gut, trigger on that. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, this week, the Blue Jackets, we have got... Don't remember off the top of my head where we're playing. Don't play again until Wednesday. We got a Wednesday night uh, affair out in Colorado. And then Saturday, Colorado returns the favor coming to Columbus. Um, the, the, what What is our schedule this year? This is bizarre. I'm, I am almost, this is almost as flummoxing as Buffalo's home numbers, but we have a weird schedule in November. What is going on? Because things are so... Spread out, but I mean, people said it was going to be a condensed schedule, but so we played Sunday. We don't play again until Wednesday. Then we play again Saturday. Then we don't play again until next, the following Friday. Oh, man, things are crazy. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for turning in. We do appreciate it. And go Jackets. Please subscribe to the show. Follow us on Twitter at Jackets Debrief. And thank you for listening. <laughs>